Dalton takes a shotgun snap. Quick throw. Nice. Caught by Get Green. It, it is a yeah. touchdown. Adriel Jeremiah Green. You don't live in Cleveland. Hello and welcome to episode 84,672 of Cincinnati, the Bengals UK podcast. Uh, my name is Paul Hirons and it's pretty obvious after two months of being locked down, I'm losing my mind. So here to help me unravel and keep me on the even keel is Nathan Palmer, my usual regular partner in crime, the strawberry to my shortcake, the strawberry to my cornetto, and uh, the strawberry to my switchblade. Hello, Nathan. How are you? Hello, my son. How are you feeling after two months in lockdown? You, well, you help the NFL helping you get by. How are you doing? <laughs> well, it's pretty obvious. I'm losing my mind. I don't know what day it is anymore. Somewhere over here, we've just had a bank holiday, which is the equivalent of like Labor Day in the states, uh, and it didn't really make any difference. You know, I know, I know, a lot of people are working out there, so it did make a difference to them. But to me, it was just another day. Oh, sitting around and contemplating what life is all about. But yes, so the NFL, to, to answer your question, yes, the NFL is helping me through that existential crisis. Yeah, good, good man. Good How about man. you? How are you doing in the lockdown? Do you know, I've been all right. I've been not too bad. You know, some days better than others. But um, I, the other night I had, a, I had a right funny evening. So I, was, I, went, I went to bed and I had a really bad nightmare, right? Really bad nightmare. And it went on for a while. And it was one of those really vivid nightmares. And it was about Joe Burrow. And I was dreaming that for two years he was consistently injured and he could never play. And, you know, like every week I thought he was going to be OK. And then he was ruled out at the last minute. And the Bengals were terrible. And everyone kept sort of slating me for it and saying, oh, you said the Bengals were going to be good. And I was like, no, they'll be fine. It's just Joe Burrow needs to play. He needs to play. But he was just consistently injured for two years. So I hope that's not a premonition of things to come. Bloody hell. I mean... Well, yeah, I hope not either, because we've had some pretty rotten luck, I suppose, when it comes to injuries and first-round picks, haven't we? So I really hope that Burrow uh, stays OK, really. I really do, because... Bobby Hart gets beaten around the outside. First game of the pre-season, Burrow dislocates his hip. Don't, 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 please, Nathan, no. But it's interesting you talk about dreams. I mean, I don't want to turn this into dreamy natter, um, but uh, the the kind of calibre and the intensity and the and the vividness of the dreams during this lockdown have been like almost like watching a uh, an action movie in my brain every night. Do you have you okay. been getting action movies at all? Is that because you've been smoking some stuff, son? I wish I had. Just... I wish I had, but no, it's just it's it's done terrible. Th- when I say it. They're quite intense, so you wake up a bit like, oh, what was that? Um, and I, I wish I could remember some uh, examples, but I can't, obviously. Um, but, yeah, they've been a bit crazy and very vivid, as you say. Uh, during the, I even had a few sex dreams as well that I, should really, <laughs> I shouldn't really talk about on, on this podcast. But you know what I mean? I've had the full lot. One, one, one week, one night there's been an action movie. The next night it's been my equivalent of, like, I don't know, 
nine and a half weeks. That's one for the older generation, obviously. But whatever the latest erotic thriller is in my brain. And then, you know, some nights it's light and frothy like a rom-com. So who knows what I'm going to get tonight, especially now I'm talking about dreams. It's like Netflix in your mind, son, isn't it? Exactly. And it's free. It's brilliant. Um Anyway, podcast as usual. (laughs) Let's get on to the business of the day, and there's a few things to talk about. Um, Where where do you want to go first? Because there's one obvious thing that we need to talk about. Uh, We did Andy Dalton last week. We did uh, John Ross last week. The team is continuing to do virtual workouts and virtual meetings. Which, uh, if you saw the latest video press conference with Zach. He was going through all that, and it sounded kind of quite interesting, really, uh, how they're doing it. Um, but I guess the big the big thing is the schedule, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, again, the NFL is the one sport at the moment that's sort of live and kicking, and these sort of things they're, you know, knocking out at the moment, I think are so well-received for people to sort of see, you know, a glimpse into the future, well, hopefully when these games will happen. And I think, you know, obviously... I think yeah, the, the NFL, like not to go, you know, all coronavirus and everything. You know, we had this we had this discussion before the we start. Had, of the yeah, start. listeners, we had about a twenty-minute discussion about putting the world to rights and a big, huge <laughs> COVID nineteen discussion. Uh, and thankfully, we haven't put it into the podcast. But absolutely. so don't keep it light, Nathan. Keep it light. No, absolutely. But the weird thing at the moment is, I just no one is talking about whether or not you know, obviously on the subject of the schedule release, whether these games are going to be played, like, on September the 13th, which is the Bengals' first game against the Chargers, mm. or if they're going to be behind closed doors. And well, I, really... I, I think they're just figuring it out at the moment, like we are, really. Yeah, I, I guess because they're a bit further in the future, like September, you got, what, sort of like four or five months to go, I suppose. It's a mm. reasonable amount of time. But, I mean, unless anything drastic changes, I just can't see how any of those games are going to be played with a crowd. I know that sounds awful. And like people in the U S may, you know, may think differently or they might, you know, be slightly more, you know, able to optimistic maybe about that. Yeah. Optimistic or just willing to go ahead with it. But I mean, it seems absurd to think that that Paul Brown stadium could be like packed at capacity in four months time. Well, all I would say is I agree with you. And I'm, there's a few things I'll say about this because, um, we're facing calls to bring back our own live sports and there's discussions about how that might look like and being played behind closed doors or neutral venues or whatever that might, that might be. Um, things have moved very quickly in this uh, pandemic, you know, from nothing to everything and chaos and lockdown and, you know, terrible loss of life and, and, and financial hardship and everything that, uh, you know, a pandemic uh, brings with it. But um, I think who, I think my point is basically who the hell knows what it's going to be like in in three, four months time. That's the, I think that's the thing to remember. Um, my, I was listening to Peter King today, the, um, the NBC journalist, the venerable peter king and he was saying that you know if if the season starts for instance right on time and all the rest of it uh a lot a lots of um experts and um 
and top guys are predicting that there will be second waves and clusters of new infections throughout the autumn and winter as we get into traditional cold and flu season. Um, so what happens like on a Saturday before a game and four players from one team get tested positive for coronavirus? What what happens then? You would have to call the the game off the next day, wouldn't you? Or postpone it. Uh, and that probably not going to be for one team. It could be like three or four teams. So I, I just don't know how they're going to do it. And um, I've always said starting the season in September is is sounds pretty optimistic to me, really, I think. Yeah, I think that's a really good point about, obviously, the players testing positive. And obviously, in the US, they've been doing a lot of testing. And I'm sure that, you know, every player will be subject to tests and, mem- you know, members of the coaching staff and the team and everything else. But... It's a really good point because, you know, unlike um, sort of English um, soccer, when you've got 11 men on a team, maybe 20 in sort of a squad and then a couple of physios and coaching staff, you know, in the NFL, you've got nearly 100 people that make up yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the roster, the practice squad, the coaching staff and everything else. So, you know, all it takes is a couple of people and then you've got to isolate others and it, it just could be a logistical nightmare. So, again, I don't want to be negative. You know, it's not the whole, not, not, absolutely not what we're, try, what we're trying to say, but it does feel like a big, big task, um, an uphill task to get this, you know, moving when it should in September. Um, and also because you're not just talking about the regular season, you're talking about four pre-season games as well. Um, yeah. Well, you're talking about a crowd as well. And, I, you know, the, the, the beauty of the NFL and the, the re, one of the re, main reasons that I and so many others were attracted to it is just the extraordinary experience of game day. And yeah. I remember the first tailgate I ever went to in the US was U, uh, UCLA against Stanford at the Rose Bowl. And I remember tailgating and just being absolutely like my head was fully blown. Mm. I was like, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Mm. But it's a very intimate experience, you know. Yeah. People crammed into sort of uh, parking spaces, eating, drinking together, throwing footballs around. Like it is not in any way a socially distant no, um, no, activity. Right. And I think that again, you you know, it's it's going to be very very hard to see how that will be possible in four months' time. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you make a good point about the tailgates. You know, that's what that's what really gives the, the gives whole the flavor, experience. So, so uh, different uh, from over here, you know. Um, yeah. You know, I remember, I, mean, I remember sort of going along in 2017 and hanging out with Jess and Jeremy at the Bomb Squad. That was incredible. Then just on the way to the into the ground saying hello to Jim at his tailgate and it was just like it's just amazing incredible I have to say and just like how do they do this but um you, you imagine like you know if you're well and good the Bengals like tearing up the charges in week one you know and Joe Burrow absolutely lighting the gaff up but if it's in front of an empty stadium you know no crowd noise I mean it literally changes the game slightly. oh I would I would think they'd pump crowd noise in you'd have to to you make, think? Yeah, just to make it less weird for the players, and even though it would be weird, um, and also, I mean, they could do like crazy things, like you know, put cutouts of season ticket holders <laughs> into seats, or no, I suppose, yeah, and yeah, pump crowd noise in to make it less weird for the players, and also less weird for us watching at home. Not that we, you know, we'd just be 
keen to see some product on the field, especially after this off season for the Bengals. You know, um, I don't know. There are certain ways to well, do it. Maybe that'd certainly be one of those surreal experiences, wouldn't it? If you like won the game in the last couple of seconds, that Joe Burrow cheeky little ball over the top to T Higgins to win it in the yeah. first game of the season. And you've got this fake crowd noise going mental <laughs> and then just a load of cardboard cutouts not moving. <laughs> I know. And Or what if the guy on the tannoy system presses the wrong button and starts playing booze instead of like yeah. cheers at certain times? <laughs> I, um, I need to talk about the announcement because it's become a real thing now throughout the NFL. Um, you know, how teams are announcing their schedules because some teams go completely and utterly nuts and they do like I remember last year was it Atlanta or New Orleans I can't remember who did this kind of Game of Thrones pastiche and it was like amazing that was incredible I tell you what who was it was it the Saints or the the Falcons I I can't remember it was either the Saints or the Falcons but it would have cost a few bob that I tell you yeah they must have hired in an agency to do that and then the Bengals did theirs and it was who day on a scooter and um Doing absolutely nothing either. Just kind of fanning about around Cincinnati. I half expected him to be on a park bench uh, with a brown paper bag and a bottle of cheap whiskey. Um, really hammered uh, on what in one of the shots, but yeah, compared to the <laughs> to the rest of the uh, NFL, it was it wasn't uh, wasn't quite up to scratch and. Interestingly, the Bengals have completely, since then, the Bengals, to their credit, have completely overhauled their social media team and content production team. And they're doing some fantastic stuff, led, led by our own old chum, Marissa Contepelli. And they've been doing some great stuff. So I was really looking forward to seeing what they were going to do this year. And they went with the Joe Burrow uh, cigar um, uh, kind of theme and motif, didn't they? Did that. Did that hit the spot for you? Do you know? Do you know what? I'm going to probably be a controversial opinion here. I didn't like it. Mm, interesting. I thought the the theme was okay, like the old cigar thing, but I just thought it was really repetitive. Yeah, I yeah. You could have done it as like one of them, like oh, you know, one against the Steelers maybe, but like it just was the same cigar just being rolled up every mm. week. Mm. Like I don't know. I thought it was all right. I I thought it was really funny that they were able to sort of laugh at themselves about the who day on a scooter thing to yeah, start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a really good touch. But I wasn't, I, a few people loved it, but I, I weren't madly keen. But yourself, yeah, something. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was a really clever idea, actually. And um, But as you say, as it went on, like you say, it was a little bit repetitive. And the colour scheme is a bit sort of dull colour-wise, I thought. Um, but still, um, and Mars better. And uh, I've loved what the Bengals social media team have been doing and... Uh, uh, at least, at least they made an effort, and I thought it was a clever idea to use that cigar theme and motif throughout the, throughout the, all of their social media. You know, they they they've sort of done it on their Twitter uh, banner now, haven't they? All the cigars lined up, so it's nice that they've you know thematically carried it through. And uh, but yeah, lot 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 to like about it. You know, it just perhaps color wise, it wasn't a bit. Um, Again, you look at, I think someone did an animal, I think it was the Lions did an Animal Crossing uh, pastiche, you know, that game that everyone's been bloody yeah, playing, yeah, yeah. Uh, which kind of just about worked. But they, again, the Saints uh, came up trumps. They kind of did a really lovely thing where they they focused in on kind of helping the community during the the coronavirus and, and kind of highlighting some of the key workers and and they, you know, even with Atlanta, they said, you know, we may hate you, but we're human beings and 
were enemies on the pitch, but together were, and they were sending food parcels to Atlanta and all their opponents, which I thought was quite cool. Um, mm. But yeah, it was interesting, I suppose. But I guess, I guess the real thing is uh, the schedule. So, do you want to go through it real quick? Yeah, just one quick like last point on that about the whole like Bengals marketing and stuff. It's funny with Joe Burrow, isn't it? Because he's just such a marketable yeah. like player to have on your team. And obviously, you know, we're focusing at the moment on the whole cigar thing when he was at LSU. But you just think for his career in Cincinnati, I'm sure it'll be a very colourful and you know exciting career there. You just think for the Bengals, what an asset you've got on your hands there from you know selling jerseys to sort of. You know, just just marketing the Bengals as an exciting product. I think it's going to be a really sort of fun time to see how that evolves. Yeah, absolutely, and it, it's great that they're using him, him already in that sense. They're drumming up excitement, and there is a lot of uh, excitement around, and um, which is why we want this season, if it can, to get started because we've we've had I think we've had a really great off season. So um, people are desperate for the season to get started, and I am one of those people. Um, just before we attack the schedule, just to mention that we do have a special guest coming up, and that is uh, ex-Bengals defensive tackle John Thornton, who's now, uh, since his retirement at the end of the 2000s, he's uh, he's become a an agent, a player agent. So uh, I spoke to him at the weekend, and it is a really great chat. I mean, it's a full 20-odd minutes chat, but it is, I think... Uh, genuinely really fascinating and he talks about all kinds of things the Bengals uh, which players and coaches that he's uh, looked after uh, the it gives us an insight as to what it means to be an agent which I think will surprise quite a few people um, so yeah stand by for that but let, let's go through the schedule uh, first and foremost um, we we're at the Chiefs home to the Vikings at the Falcons and home to the Colts uh, in pre-season, if indeed that happens. Um, but let's go through the regular season uh, schedule, which is uh, at the moment due to start on September the 13th. At, uh, actually, that's at 4.05pm, so that'll be a bit later for us in the UK. That'll be a 9 o'clock job. Um, the Chargers at home, so a nice home opener. Potential to be Justin Herbert versus Joe Burrow. What do you think? Win, loss? I love the fact we're opening at home. It's been a while since we've had a home game to start off. Um, I I think it's a massive game, that. I think for Zach Taylor and the Bengals last year against Seattle when we lost, we deserve to win that. And I think if we'd won that, the season would have been completely different. I'm not saying we'd have pulled up trees, but I think we might have won six, seven or eight games if we'd won that game. And I think that this is going to be the same. If we can win in front of a, I mean, if that, if, you know, pretend there's no coronavirus, that stadium would be rocking. It'd be sold out. It'd be the most ridiculous tailgate you've ever seen. <laughs> Burrow jerseys throughout. The noise would be unbelievable, as we've seen on some of these watch parties, how loud that stadium yeah, can be. Yeah, I think that's what's come through, isn't it? What, if you get that stadium full and some excitement. I mean, we just had a watch party at the weekend that played the Corey Dillon record-breaking game. Uh, against the Broncos in 2000 when they were 0-6, right? And they yeah. were a terrible team. Uh, no offence to the players on that team because people like Willie Anderson and Takeo Spikes were playing all really, really good players and borderline, you know, potential Hall of Famers. You know, there's some good players on that team. But as a team, they were pretty awful and they were 0-6. And, 
And that stadium had 61,000 people in it. And yes, the first half was pretty awful. But then when the Bengals came out in the second half and really stepped it up, LeBeau must have absolutely tore strips off them at half-time. They created a few fumbles and a few interceptions. And as you know, as soon as a play happens like that, a big hit or a, a, a fumble recovery, um, the crowd just went absolutely insane. And it's kind of like, wow, we, we you know... These watch parties on a much lower key level prove that if you get people in that stadium and you get a good team for them to cheer on, they are going to go insane. Oh, 100%. 100%. And that's why I think that game is so important. You win, you get people's backs up, people are going to be loving it. And I just think it's such a pivotal game for us, even though it's so early on. Um, It's in that slightly later slot as well at 4 o'clock Eastern time. Um, perfect for a few, you know, bevies in the morning to get yourself hyped up for well it. Well-oiled. So, Well-oiled, yeah. I'm going for a win, mate. I reckon we're going to f- turn them over. Yeah, I'm I'm in. I think it's a home win. Uh, and then a quick turnaround, the first prime time, first of two prime time games, it's we're going up to Cleveland on the Thursday. I reckon they beat us. I, I, I know people will tear my head off for that, but I think they've improved the Browns. They're at home. You know, you've got to temper expectations with Joe Burrow as a rookie. His first prime time game, his first game on the road. No doubt we could win it, but I think a division game. I think the Browns might just edge us. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Although I will say this: um, it's still early in the season, so teams are settling down. Uh, especially they might have a training camp, so it might be, you know, the standard of football here might be pretty poor, actually. Um, and then it's a quick turnaround to Thursday, which is always, I mean, Thursday night games are always relatively poor. So I think the the playing field, if you like, will be levelled on a number of different ways. But I still think, looking at the two rosters and all the rest of it, I mean, Cleveland are an unknown force as well. They've got a new head coach, you know, but just through raw talent, I think they're a better team on paper. And we're obviously all hoping that that means nothing and the Browns. Isn't that an insane turnaround, though, by the way? We're playing at four o'clock Eastern on yeah. Sunday the 13th. And then you're playing again at eight o'clock Eastern on Thursday. So you've literally got three days off. You've got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off. And then you're playing again. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. That, game, yeah. that game won't be over until like 7, 8 o'clock at night on the Sunday. You've got Monday, Tuesday to sort of recuperate. Yeah, now, yeah. Wednesday, you, you know, you're driving up the road to um, up to Cleveland. So, yeah, yeah. yeah man, it's that. No, I agree. So we both got uh, us at one-on-one. And then on the 27th, we're at Philadelphia. Again, I, I think that's going to be a struggle for us. I think the Eagles are a good team. I, I, I think we'll do well to get that. I'm going one and two. Yeah, me too. Although I think it is winnable because I don't. I mean, they're a tough team, aren't they? They were got a good defense. They've got you know they they had a few problems at their skill position last year, but they've sort of addressed that in the draft a little bit. I'm interested to see how Philadelphia do actually, uh, but I still think they might just have enough for for us. So I think it's one and two at home to Jacksonville. Uh, the yeah. following, the first weekend in October, the first Sunday in October. That that's a game we should win, and I'm pegging us to win that. Like you've you've got to win a game like that. You know the Jags on paper don't look like a fantastic team next season. They've got questions at quarterback, and you know I really feel that we should, you know, we should be capable of winning that. Agreed. Two and two, uh, and then we go to Baltimore for uh, the second divisional interdivisional 
powwow of the season uh, at the Ravens. See, I've got a sneaky feeling that's Me too. Sort of game I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, there's I'm, no reason, but I reckon, you know, that that would be a sort of significant game, wouldn't it, if we could roll them? Oh, hugely. I mean, it would not only send a message to the division, but I think the whole league that, you know. But I still, I'm just, I'm going to go two and three. I, I can't pick the Bengals outright. But I wouldn't be surprised if we put up a damn good fight in that game. I'm going for the win. I'm going Hello. for the win. So you win. keep your score. So you're three and two, I'm two and three, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at the Colts. See, I reckon we turn the Colts. I think Philip Rivers is done. I really don't think he's got a lot left. I think the Bengals will... I, reckon we'll, I think he'll be a bit of a train wreck there next season. I think the Bengals win that. I think this is a, this is a coin flip game. The Colts have got some good players. Um, yeah, I'm a bit worried about Rivers. I, don't, I thought that was a poor signing from the Colts, actually. Because they've been quite astute in free agency and the draft recently and building a pretty solid team. Um, oh, I don't know. But they've got some good players. I like their wide receiver core. I like, you know, parts of their defence. The DeForest Buckner signing was amazing, I think. Um, oh, I'm always pessimistic. So I'm going, I'm going home win. So that's two and four for me. Okay, I'm four and two optimistically at the moment. Yeah, okay. Uh, home against the Browns. Oh, mate. See, I'm going for a win here because I think I think we I think we'll split the series, the two game series between these guys. Uh, so I'm going for a home win. I'm going for the Browns to turn us over, like to return. <sighs> I've, I've gone for us to beat them up in their gaff. Yeah. Oh, you know, I'm sorry. I said I'm going for you. I think the Browns might do us. I don't know why. I've just got a feeling. Right. So you'll be you're four and three. I'm three and four. Yeah. Uh, the Titans at home. I think the Titans are a very good team with Derek Henry and um, I. Oh, because they've still got Tannehill, haven't they? And I don't think he's actually. I think he had a good run last year, but I, I still am not like long term convinced by him. I think he did very well to get that contract out of him. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a. I think. Uh... Mike Vrabel's a brilliant head coach, though. I really rate him. Yeah. They got some nice pieces, but if we can limit Derrick Henry, which I think you know the you know the way they they set out to stop the run in free agency was incredible. So I don't know about this game. I've gone for a loss, son. I've got some four and four. What are you going for? Yeah, I I can't bet against the Titans this one. Although I think you know if we can, it all depends. It's very hard to make predictions at this point in time, but I think. Uh, I think there's a chance there, but it just depends on whether we can stop Henry and how, uh, ta- uh, how as you say, how Tannehill's playing, really. Um, so you're four and four, I'm three and five. We're at the Steelers next. And that is... No, that's just a regular Sunday night game, isn't it? I, the Steelers shouldn't be that good on paper next year. Like, when you think about it, like, Roethlisberger's like 38 or something next Stone. season... Say again. Thirty-eight stone. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just a beard. I, I, I just. Oh, I don't know. It's just the Steelers, only. Like you got to whether you like the Steelers or or whether you like them, whether you hate the Steelers or not. It's Mike Tomlin's a hell of a head coach. That team has never ever not been competitive under his stewardship. So <clears throat> you, you always feel like you know them at home against a rookie quarterback. We're going to be on the back foot there. So I, I can't. 
I've got to go for the Steelers, unfortunately. I'm going for Steelers in this game because um, not because I think they're another eight and eight team. I think they're about the same level as as us actually, uh, but just home field advantage for this one. But I can see us going up there if we have a really good start to the season. Uh, I can see us going up there and turning those turning them over um i really do i just i think they've got a really good defense and as you say tomlin did a remarkable job last year whatever you want to say about him and whatever i think that he did do a remarkable job to get them uh you know at least competitive last year yeah absolutely i completely agree but you know um i'm saying i think home for the advantage might be the one for this one so i've got three and six you are four and five uh and then we go to washington Two, the two worst teams in the league facing off. Um, and I am going to go for a win. Yeah, I'm going for a win as well. I'm, going, I'm, I'm not sure really what they've got in Dwayne Haskins. They've got Chase Young, obviously, haven't they, in the draft. But I think that could be a win for us. Yeah, I agree. And um, they've got, you know, they've drafted reasonably well. Uh, I, I don't know. And Rivera will make them tougher, I think. Not that I didn't rate Jay Gruden as a coach, but... Um, I don't know. I just fancy this for that game. Home to the Giants. I'm going home win. Yeah, agree. Home win there for us. Uh, so that puts you at six and five, and me at five and six. How exciting! Uh, yeah. At the Dolphins, I would like nothing more to go down to Miami and absolutely piss on them, like almost literally, actually. <laughs> Um, but I don't know, because they're going to be in a similar position to us because um, they've got the excitement of a new quarterback. They've invested heavily, a lot of new draft picks. But I have to say, Miami have a history of screwing things up. And even though I quite like the guy in charge down there at the head coach, I think he's quite a steady, you know, sensible guy. Um Again, it's just overhaul after overhaul after overhaul. So it's going to be interesting to see whether they can gel or not. And whether the tour is healthy and still Where playing. Two, absolutely. And obviously, you wish them all the best, um, except for this game. So with that in mind, I'm going to go for an away win. How about that? Yeah, I'm going for a away win as well, Sam. Right, you're on 7-5, and five, I'm on 6-6. Six and six. Come on, we can make the playoffs. Come on, Nathan. Home to the Cowboys. Dalton's return on his on his steed. He's, he's galloping into Cincinnati and tipping his Stetson and says, howdy, partners, and, uh, and then watches Dak Prescott throws four interceptions and loses to his old team. How about that? <laughs> no, I, I, th- I, think, I think the Cowboys are actually going to be a pretty good team this year. Um, yeah, I, as I've much as the, they are my, along with the Steelers, uh, and now the Browns are up there as well. They are my most despised team in the NFL. Oh, really, the Cowboys? Yeah, so I, I want us to absolutely nail them, but I just think they're a good team. Um, I think there's a chance of beating them, but I'm going for an away win, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I think the Cowboys might just be a bit too strong for us there, so I'm going for a, an away win as well. Okie dokie. Next up, we've got the Steelers at home on a Monday night. On de- the, it was the Monday before Christmas, uh, December the 21st. We've got the Steelers at home, and I am going for a home win. Now, if we were 7-6, and six, uh, which is what I've got us at, at the moment, and we had a Monday night game at home, 
against the Steelers, you'd be dreaming of the playoffs. You'd be absolutely frothing at the mouth at this game. But I, unfortunately, am going to go for a Steelers win. Why? I don't know. I just Until the Bengals can turn the Steelers over in a primetime big game, I'm not calling it until I see it. So I'm going for a Steelers win. So we're both at 7-7. Seven and seven. God, our poor old special guest John Thornton's probably wondering where the hell are they, you know. Um, right, next up, penultimate game of the season at Houston. No, the Texans are a bit of a bogey team for us, aren't they? Deshaun Watson, you know, I mean, I know they've lost DeAndre Hopkins, but I, I think we're going to struggle going to the Texans in that game. So I'm going for a Houston win. I'm not sure they're going to be as good as they are last year. But I still think they might be too strong. And to finish up the season, it's the Ravens at home. And I think the Ravens will be in like prime. I mean, they, you know, if they can continue to do what they did last season, they'll be in rocket mode. And they'll also be massively keen to avenge the loss that we inflicted on them earlier in the season. <laughs> that I, predicted. I am going, unfortunately, for a loss, which will put us at seven and nine. Yes, I'm with you. So we're both at seven and nine. Um, I mean, it would, it would, you know, as I say, it, it all depends. It's difficult to make predictions at this stage of the season because you don't know about injuries. You don't know how teams are going to fall off a cliff. They, you know, with all this kind of COVID stuff knocking about, the preparation for the season is not going to be amazing. So it's whoever's uh, whoever's adapted the best to the situation will will obviously come out flying. And you know what it's like, you know, if teams win like two or three on the bounce and confidence is up, suddenly momentum starts to roll. Uh, and, you know, it's difficult to obviously see into the future. Well, it's impossible to see into the future, uh, not just difficult. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm giving them 7-9. But, you know, a couple of those games, they they could well win. You know, Baltimore not, might, not, might not be as good this year. The Steelers might be terrible this year. Uh Cleveland, let's hope, will fall off a cliff. Um, the Colts might have a shocker at quarterback, and and you know they might go off a cliff. You know, it, you just don't know. So, but at the moment, just looking at where we are, where other teams are, uh, and uh, you know, home field advantage, all that kind of stuff. I think seven and nine is a is a you is, know a, what? is a is a sensible uh, sensible prediction. I think. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I think that if we were seven and nine, you know, and the way I predicted us to go seven nine, seven and nine, and it was uh, we were actually seven and five and lost our last four home games. But you know what? I would absolutely take seven and nine. I think from last year, you know, barely able to win a game to literally massively improving, getting seven wins, showing signs that Joe Burrow is going to be the future of the, you know, the future of the, fran uh, the franchise. I take seven and nine. It's a real building block to the, you know, for the season after this to really be a contender. I think we've got to temper expectations. He's a rookie, you know. He's coming in potentially off a shortened off season. You know, there's a lot of roster overhaul that's happened this year. It's been fantastic to get all these new signings in in free agency and in the draft, and to cut some old dead wood off. But it takes time for a team to gel, and I think if we could get seven wins under those uh, circumstances and be in and around the playoff hunt, I think that would represent a real improvement from what we we saw last year. And hopefully we could build upon that to really be you know, a really strong team going into the next season. So I, I, I don't think there'd be anything wrong with that. I uh, mean, and it would also represent 
quite a, a quite a jump and also in progress actually from all over the place two and 14 to kind of you know just outside being a pretty good team um i don't know i, I obviously we've got to aim for the stars but i think being sensible it's actually a, quite a tough schedule i think uh with some winnable games in there um but you know you can't can't wait for it to start let's hope it does yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's been quite a lot of change around the league as well. There's been a few quarterbacks, you know, coming and going and yeah. some people in the league, you know, getting older. That's, you know, your traditional stars in the league like, you know, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Roethlisberger, you know, quite a few like Philip Rivers. Some of these are guys that are getting a little bit older now that have traditionally dominated the league. And you're obviously seeing some a new breed of quarterbacks like your Mahomes and Deshaun Watsons um, coming through. So, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's harder to know now, isn't it? Like, who are the real good teams in the league and who are not? It's it's very changeable. So it's going to be interesting to see. Absolutely. So there you go. There's our little schedule breakdown. I say little. We've gone on for about half an hour. So um, uh, it must be time for our special guest. And uh, let's bring him in. It's former Bengals defensive tackle, John Thornton. John, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, I know we've been trying to do this for a while, so I'm glad to be here and uh, talking to you for a little bit. Absolutely. You're more than welcome. And I wanted to talk to you because, you know, you were part of that 2005 team uh, that's so beloved still over here in the UK and, of course, around the world. Um, and you're a really good player. And now you're an agent. And I think it's 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 fascinating to get your an insight into your sort of day-to-day life as an agent in the in the in the lead up to the draft and and now as players are negotiating contracts and all that kind of stuff but I you play for the Bengals in that 2005 team after joining from the Titans in 2003 did you get the feeling when you arrived in the building that Marvin was building something special yes I mean, I I probably wouldn't have signed with the Bengals if it wasn't for Marvin. Right. Um, you know, when I played for Tennessee, he was coaching at, at the Ravens uh, for three of those years. And then he went to the Redskins, I think, in 2002. Mm. So I just remember saying, hey, I would want to play for him because I always respected the Ravens defense. You know, our Titans defense and the Ravens defense always were like top five in the league. Uh, we were like one and two most of the time. So uh, when he came to Cincinnati and he called me on the first day of free agency, uh, that made this place to me, it made it like a legitimate place to go. And my agent told me not to come here. You know, I had friends tell me not to come here, but right. you know, the Bengals had good talent. I mean, they were in my first game in the league in 99, we played the Bengals in Tennessee and they, I think the Bengals had us by like nine with like four and a half minutes left. You know, Jeff Blake and Pickens and yeah. Dylan, and mm. you know they had a good offensive line. So it was like I, I think players know when a team has players, but sometimes they lack, the, you know, the leadership, the necessary leadership. Yeah. Um, and so when Marvin came here. I just knew that he he wouldn't risk his career um, at the time. I know he wanted a head coaching job, but I don't think he would have risked it if he didn't feel like he could change it around. Sure, sure. And we've heard varying stories about Marvin. We've heard at the start, when he first came in, he was quite a taskmaster. He was quite tough 
on the players and then he kind of relaxed a little bit as time went on. Would, would that be true? What kind of guy, what kind of head coach was Marvin? Marvin was good. When, he, when we first got here, he was very tough. Uh, you know, things like being on time, which you would think is something that all professionals do, but, you know, some coaches, if they're lax on it, players will take advantage. So, um, you know, he had a mix of players. He had the guys that were here before. Some of them were good. Some of them weren't good. Um, he had the guys that he brought in. And and there's a delicate line, when I think, when a coach comes into a new place, not to alienate the guys that have been here before. And, you know, and you want everybody to buy in. So he had that tough job of saying, hey, I'm going to be tough, but I'm going to also be a player's coach. And I think he did that. You know, we – we started out rough, I think, 0-3. Um, we had a tough game out in Oakland. You know, they, they had just come off of the Super Bowl game with, the you know, the, the, the Bucks, But we played them out there in week two, I believe. Um, so we, we were coming along, and then we finally hit our stride, and we ended up being like 8-6 and six at one point mm. and, and lost the last two. But I think he gained credibility that year, uh, you know, us beating the Chiefs. Um, and, and so I think he – got to put his stamp down and, and he always told us the more that we won the more he could change here in Cincinnati you know and go upstairs and talk to Mike Brown and, mm-hmm. and do things a little differently so um, I, I thought it was great you know playing for Jeff Fisher I knew how that organization was in Tennessee um, just to see Marvin come in here and get things the way the way that he wanted to get him I'm sure he didn't get everything he wanted but mm-hmm. you know he he did fight for the players and you know the players respected him um We've been hosting weekly watch parties on Twitter uh, during the lockdown, and it's been a great success because I think people need, you know, a few hours of distraction from all the madness that's happening outside. And we've been replaying classic Bengals games, and people have been watching together and tweeting along. It's been really, really cool. And one of the games mm-hmm. we had was from that 2005 season when you guys went up to Pittsburgh in the regular season and beat them 38-31. And one of the things, everyone talks about Carson and Chad and Rudy and TJ and all these, you know, Willie and Levi. The, the offense was a powerhouse. But what I, it was really nice to be reminded that defense was fantastic. Um, you know, we saw Odell Thurman flying around, Brian Simmons, uh, yourself, and Justin Smith, who was such a fantastic player. What, 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 what was being part of that defense like? Well, as I remember that year, especially in 05, we uh, we led the league in turnovers as a defense. So that helped us out a lot. We weren't great stopping the run. You know, we weren't overly big up front. You know, we weren't dominant with the linebackers. We had, you know, Torrey uh, James at corner, Delta O'Neal, um, safeties. I think we had, you know, Medea Williams is one of the safeties, uh, Kevin Case for arm. So we had a lot of good veterans. Um, you know, but we weren't a dominant individual type defense. Probably Justin Smith was our best player. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we played together. Um, you know, we had an offense that was a top five offense in the league that scored a lot when we got in the ball. So it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, but we weren't great saying, hey, let's just stop the run or, hey, go get sacks. I mean, we just had a collective unit that year. I mean, we couldn't stop the Colts. I mean, that game was like a. 45 to 38 game I remember here in Cincinnati in 05 and, um, but we did well against our division opponents um, you know we won the division that year so um, 
I, I don't think the talent defensively matched what they ended up having, like in 2012 through 15. Right. Um, but I feel like we were we were a good unit. Turned the ball over. You know, we we did well against our division teams at that time. Mm. Well, that's that's really honest of you. That's a really honest appraisal. Um, what was that locker room like, though? Because you know, there's a lot of big characters on that team. Um, what can you tell us in terms of stories, or who were the real characters of that locker room? I mean, the characters were, um, you know, Brian Robinson was the older guy that came in, and he, you know, unfortunately, he passed recently. Mm. Um, you know, Brian Simmons was a uh, a quiet, laid back guy, but well respected. Um, you know, obviously, the guys on the offense had the you know biggest personalities, TJ and Chad, and. Mm. Um, but, but it was, it was a good locker room. I mean, we had, you know, a few misfits, but, but that's in every locker room, mm. you know? And I think with, with us starting to win, um, you know, you start to get some things that happen off the field and guys having a good time and stuff mm. like that, I think, uh, kind of bit us a little bit, but, um, you know, we really had a good locker room guys to come to work because I mean, Chad Johnson was the hardest worker. He was, um, you know, he bought in and he was at a Pro Bowl level. You know, TJ was that way. Rudy was that way. You know, Willie Anderson was starting to get the recognition around the league. So we had guys leading us, you know. Um, but And then, again, like I said, Marvin had the right coaches in here to help us as well. So the, it was a good locker room. Um, you know, guys had fun together. And, um, you know, I thought we had a really good team. You know, mm. I thought that was a really good team. Mm. And such a shame. The way it ended in 2005. But we won't dwell on that. We won't dwell on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so fast forward to the present day, John. And you're an agent now, and you have been for a while. Um, this is incredibly, uh, you know, generic and stereotyped. But the only the only agents that we see or know over here is kind of, you know, oh. Jerry Maguire, show me the money. Um, and I'm assuming it's not really like that on a daily level. So tell us what your job is like especially in the the time leading up to the draft? Well, well there's two different – I mean, when, when you have a guy – you know, you obviously recruit players. Um, I recruit guys coming out of college, mm. uh, whether they be juniors or seniors, and, and you identify and you try to get in touch and talk to them. So hopefully, to say I sign a guy at the end of this bowl game, you know, I get him off to his combine training place, get him ready for about six or seven weeks, uh, he'll get ready for the combine, have the combine, come back to school, get ready for the pro days. Mm. Um, and then there's about a six-week period before the draft, six or seven weeks. So the guys will go on their visits and teams will come work them out. Um, you just try to organize all of that stuff, uh, handle the phone calls from the teams and the players, making sure he's available um, on his flights. And and, and that, so that that's that type of uh, representation and and then you know this year was tough because of coronavirus mm. guys couldn't travel once mid-march came um so the players had to find somewhere to work out and everything was via video and mm. uh, so it, it was a, it was a little bit tougher this year but but we got through it um, and then you have veterans so I, I think once guys are in the nfl you try your best to um I, you know i watch all of my guys whether i'm watching direct tv or Mm. Um, I'm at the games and, and you try to just be a sounding board for them. You know, I text them before and after the games, um, let them know what I think. If they had a rough game, you know, try to be there for them. If they had a great game, try to be there. 
Um, and then obviously contract negotiation is a huge part of it. Mm. Um, you know, you know, the rookies, I'm doing my rookies contract now. I just had a veteran back in March, Nick Kwiatkowski, who yeah. almost came to the Bengals, the linebacker. How, how close was uh, Kwiatkowski <laughs> getting to the Bengals? It, it was close. It, it, you know, it was close. Uh, we could talk about that, but it was it was close. Mm. And he ended up going to the Raiders, so that was, um, you know, and, and like I said, there, there's different levels of representation from rookies to veterans. You know, you have guys that sometimes they just want to talk about their personal life that might mm. be bothering them, and so you try to be there for that and, um, so yeah, it's, it, it is a job, but, but I don't see it that way. I see it as, Hey, I went through it. I feel like I'm an uncle to a lot of the guys. Um, I'm very professional, but at the same time I could be casual mm-hmm. to a player when they, when they just want to talk, you know, mm-hmm. some guys ask me about kids and AAUs and, uh, basketball and T-ball and, mm-hmm. um, they might have family issues. So it, it's a lot of different things, but you just try to be available to your players whenever they need it. Mm. So you do form intensely personal relationships with these guys then, especially the young guys, I guess, who are going through something completely new and alien to them. Yes, and you, you have to be available. And I, and I respect families. I respect the guy's family dynamic. I don't try to cross that, but I always let the guys know, like, hey, you know, I'm here if you want to talk. And um, because you do. I mean, I went through things with my family and my friends. Um you know, it's a lot of pressure on young players when they get into the league. There's a lot thrown at them. You know, you hear the stories, but it's not really necessarily always about money. It's about, you know, your your situation changed, and so um, people around you may want to change with you, or um, some guys can't handle it, you know, and it's not a lot of therapy out there for players. I, I see a lot mm-hmm. of teams hire more therapists, but, you know, sometimes players need to go talk to uh, therapists to talk to through things because um, you can't talk to your coaches all the time because they're, you know, these guys are in charge of cutting you at some point. Mm-hmm. They feel like you're not mentally strong enough. So I, I think a lot of that, I think the agents nowadays, you know, you do need to listen. You need to be up on your guys. And, and you can follow them on social media. You can see an unusual post that you might comment, you know, text your guy, hey, are you okay? Mm-hmm. You know, so um, it, it is. You try to be available and you try to be aware of everything that's going on in your players' lives. And some of them, you know, I had Michael Johnson, and he was a very uh, low-maintenance client, you mm. know, with the Bengals. Um, you know, I had Hugh Jackson, you know, when I got him up with the Browns. Mm. You know, they, they went through a tough situation where I was in Cleveland a lot because mm. they were losing a lot, and he needed, you know, he needed support because mm. he was up there in a situation where the team, um, you know, no matter if they want to, you know, not want to lose, but if they got a plan to say, hey, we're going to go through two tough years, you know, you still got to go out there 16 games a season mm. and you're losing, you know, and you know you're going to lose and you got to put on that face. So Hugh was a different challenge than players because that was like, right. hey, I need to go up here. Hey, I need to be at Hugh's house after the game so we can sit down and, you know, have somebody with him that, you know, can take him away from the losing. So, um, yeah, you try to be everything for your guys. Uh, you know, it doesn't always work. I mean, guys fire you and, things like that, but you try to really, you know, I just take it from my own career. Like, hey, this is what I would like as a player, this type of representation I wanted. Sure, sure. Um, I try to provide it. It's interesting with you, isn't it? Because he was a coach while you were playing on the Bengals, so you must have already had a relationship. Uh, and then you, the, the kind of tables had turned a little bit if you were giving him support, do you know what I mean, up in Cleveland? Because he took some terrible stick up there. Uh, and I'm sure that we don't know everything that went on up in Cleveland with Hugh and the organization. 
Um, so it, that must have been quite interesting. Yeah, it was because I was very close with the owner, you know, and I, I was in that building a lot. Mm. You know, I remember, I remember being up there the, I think it was the night or the day before the whole AJ McCarron deal didn't go through. Right. Nice. <laughs> and, um, you know, I remember reading reports that Sashi Brown had left the building at five o'clock that day. Yeah. And it was a big fight in the Browns organization because, and I'm like, that's not even true. I remember leaving that night at like seven thirty. Um, <laughs> Sashi was in his office, you know, uh, Hugh was in his office. Jimmy had came down. So, so I, so you, you know, when you're on that level with coaches and owners, um, you start to see what's put out there and what's actually true. Mm. Um, yeah, it was a tough situation, and I know Hugh. You know, he took he took a lot of heat for that, mm. but but it was, um, it was just tough, man. Because you didn't you when, when you take that job, you you look at it almost like how Marvin took Cincinnati. You know, mm. they had a I think the Browns had the number two pick, and, and the Bengals had the number one pick when Marvin took his job. Um, you had cap space, and you. You know, you talk about, hey, we're going to spend money on players and we're going to do this and that. And um, so I think he had a whole different mentality coming in. Like, hey, this is a, you know, it's, it's in a division. He knew the division well, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it just didn't work. You know, they and I don't care what organization you are. This is not a knock against the Browns. I just think when when you lose, it just erodes at everything. Mm-hmm. And people lose faith in you. The, the fans lose faith in you. Um, and it's hard to get up every single week to mm. m- motivate the players. And I think he did a great job at that. You know, mm-hmm. even they, they played hard all the time, mm. you know. And then I think once they started getting <laughs> getting better, you know, it's like now they didn't tolerate a lot. And um, so he's not there. But um, it, it was an interesting thing. And uh, like I said, I'm glad he got an opportunity to go up there. Uh, I just hated how it ended. I wish he would have got a chance to finish the season, but mm-hmm. um, you know everybody makes their decisions. But um, but no, that, that that was interesting. So like I said, just being around it uh, behind the scenes and um, you know knowing the type of work that was going in, and you know I just wish he got a chance to finish it through. Here's a question for you, John. He, how are the Brown family in Cincinnati like to? What are they like to deal with? Because we've heard so many stories about. Mike and Katie and whatnot, and I presume they're pretty professional and you know good people, right? I, I love the Brown family, man. I I was, um, you know, from the time I got here, they treated me well. Mm. Um, you know, they gave me the contract I wanted. I played it out. Never had to take a pay cut. So personally, I appreciated them. You know, I live right across the street from one one of Mike Brown's houses. Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, you know, sometimes I'll see Troy Blackburn and Katie Blackburn jogging. Mm. Uh, you know, Paul Brown Jr., he's, he comes to the football games, and my sons, you know, mm. our, our kids go to the same school. So, right. you know, I see them a lot, and, and just a personal relationship. I like them. Mm. I know they get, uh, you know, they get a lot of heat just as people, but they're nice people, and they, uh, they're very aware. Um, I've had to deal with them business-wise with, you know, like I said, Michael Johnson, Pat mm. Sims, mm. Uh, even with Hugh Jackson. Um, and just throughout the process, you know, even with Nick Kwiatkowski, I mean, they always treat me with respect. Mm. And and you have to respect them when you negotiate with them because they, they're they a family-run business. You mm. know, they, they, may, they may stop negotiating at 4 o'clock and say, okay, let's pick this up tomorrow. Mm. Mm. Whereas another 
team might say, okay, we're going to finish this until we finish it. You know, I'll return his email at 10, you know, but then they, they'll email you at six in the morning and continue it. You know, that's yeah, just, right. that's how they are. You mm. know, they, they're, they're good people. And so you got to understand it. And, um, you know, people around the league will make, you know, make fun of it because it's a mom and pop shop, but it's really not, you know, I just yeah. think they, uh, they do things their way. And, you know, I mean, Jerry Jones does things his way. Yeah, every, every organization it, it, has their little quirks. Every and, organization does it, yeah. you know, and it doesn't, I mean, they, you know, and then Jerry Jones has won three Super Bowls. You know, it's been a long time, but, um, you know, I, I just see people question the way that the Bengals do it, and they've had they've had some success, mm. you know, in this, you know, obviously since Marvin came um, and gone, they, they've had some success in the last 15, 20 years that, I think people forget about. So, uh, you know, I always root for the Brown family. I, you know, I do like it. Good answer, John. Good answer. Now, just finally, you've been very generous with your time and it's been fascinating to talk to you, I must say. Um, what about the Bengals now? Are you liking a look at the team? We're all excited about DJ reading next to Geno Atkins. There seems to be a lot of energy with, with Burrow being drafted and T Higgins and... Hopefully, AJ might sign something, and Mixon might sign. How? What kind of shape are the Bengals in at the moment? I, I think they have a good mix of um, excitement. I don't think they had any juice last year. Um, you know, when you you know you lose Marvin, that that was, that was a big emotional loss because mm. he's been there so long. That was, those are his players. You know, you bring in a guy, a, a new coach who. A lot of people didn't know anything about, and then they struggle. And, you know, and now you have people, and I don't know, that wasn't in the locker room, but I'm just mm. assuming that, you know, as the losses, you know, keep coming, that you're going to have some internal problems. Mm. Um, and so now they probably got through that. Um, I personally, I was like, hey, maybe they should trade AJ last This was last year. Maybe yeah, they yeah. should trade Carlos. Mm. Maybe they should trade Geno Atkins because those are the guys you're going to get the most value for. Yeah. And, you know, you do, do you get the value from them that you gotten before? You know, mm. is, is Geno going to be a dominant force that he was a few years ago? Maybe, and maybe he is. Geno's an excellent player, same as Carlos and AJ, you mm. know. Mm. Um, but you just think of team building like, hey, may, maybe they should just – Restart it. You got a new coach. You got some leeway here. Restart it. But mm. you know they made through the season. They got the number one pick, um, and I think they got a good mix of you know. I think Joe Barrow's coming into a situation better than a lot of rookie quarterbacks. Mm. I mean, you're coming in with AJ Green and Tyler Boyd had his you know he had some time trying to be a number one receiver. I don't know if he is or not, but he mm. you know he should be better for that. You know, he, even if he's a dominant number two right now. With, with AJ back and you got Ross back trying to prove something, you get T Higgins and uh, the kid from Florida State that played well last year, the big kid, uh, the receiver. Uh, yeah. you know, yes, uh, yeah, yeah. Tate, and you got Mixon and, and Giovanni. So you have a, a a good skill group. I mean, I don't know how many rookies have a better skill group than, than Burroughs coming into here with. And, and um, you know, your line still has to be sorted out. You know, hopefully Jonah Williams can come in and play mm-hmm. well. And then defensively, you know, they've had a couple of years now where they haven't played well. Mm. Um, so I hope that unit can kind of gel together and, and just be a, you know, a top 15 unit. You don't have to be a dominant top 10, but as long mm. as they're a top 15 and, and you keep the scoring down, that, that'll that give the offense time to gel. So I, I like what they're doing. Um, they obviously had high picks in each round, so they should have got had a good draft. Um, you know, but it's about coming together now in a tough situation. But they did it before. The lockout 
mm. in 2011. They didn't yeah. have an off season. Yeah. You know, it was a tough situation with Carson leaving or, or you know, and uh, Dalton coming in. Mm. And and they made the playoffs and they proved everybody wrong. Everybody thought they were going to be the worst team in the league and and they went to the playoffs. So I so I do like what they're doing. Uh, I still think they're a year away. You know, probably another good draft and another strong free agent class and maybe mm. you know take some players off this team and get new guys. Mm. Um, and then you can probably see what Zach's all about, you know, yeah. his offense, and if he can get to what the Rams was and yeah. those type of things. So I, I do like the direction, um, you know, but I think fans should be patient and let them grow together. Uh-huh. Uh, you, you might get a great product, but, you you know, it might take some time. Right. And uh, just finally, John, real quick, um, give us a name to look at. One of your lads uh, in your stable, one of the rookies that got drafted this year, who, who should we be looking out for? You mean one one of one of my players? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I only had one. I had Andrew Thomas. He was the fourth pick in the draft. Oh, okay. uh, he's going to the Giants, mm. so he's the guy. You know, he's he's my my lone guy. Um, he's going to a good situation. He got a great running back to block for Saquon. He got a mm. good young quarterback in Daniel Jones, and you know, it's a great fan base. And so I'm excited uh, to watch him. So I, I know I know our company. We had C.J. Henderson down in uh, Jacksonville, cornerback. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I'm I'm excited for the season. I'm excited to see how Nick Kwiatkowski does out in Oakland, uh, Oakland, uh, in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, no, nah, it, it's going to be a good season, man. I, you know, when it, you know, when Sunday rolls around, I'm I like to be at home watching my Direct TV to catch all of the teams <laughs> and uh, catch up on everybody. You know, good stuff. Well, John, that was really cool. Thank you so much for spending so much time with us. Um, listen, all the best, and uh, hopefully we can speak again soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, there we go. That was John Thornton. I hope you enjoyed that. I really enjoyed talking to him, and uh, we thank him for well staying on the line for so long. I hope you don't mind us playing it out in its pretty much entirety because I thought it was a really fascinating chat, and uh, the fact that you know being an agent means not just negotiating contracts, but also you know um, kind of almost being a counselor, being a family friend, but going on the whole kind of journey with these guys must be kind of quite rewarding quite intense actually but um but yeah so i I was fascinated to hear about what john was having to say uh what did you pick up from that nathan yeah it's always fascinating to get another side of the game i think we always get you know very caught up in the players and the coaches and you know the scouts and that stuff but that's the sort of one side of the game i think that sometimes ignored a bit is sort of the you know, the real business side of the NFL and the schematics that go into it and the relationships that behind the scenes and what's happening and some fascinating stories there from John, obviously about, you know, Chad and his experience with Hugh Jackson up in Cleveland. So, yeah, very, very interesting. And I think, you know, what the, the first interview we've had of that kind, really. Absolutely. And, and, and so interesting to uh, uh, to hear how, you know, Nick Kwiatkowski was very close to joining the Bengals. So that answers one of the questions there. Um, so thanks to John and uh, for joining us. I wouldn't mind him back again. Actually, I do think he's he's a really interesting guy and uh, a lovely man as well. Back in his day as well, good player when he used to play. For yeah, he was. Yeah, system. him and Justin Smith on that line, good combination. That line, I'd say. Uh, but anyway, it's now time for our correspondence. Thank you for, once again for getting in touch and keeping in touch and uh, being with us on the watch parties every Sunday. Uh, we are, of course, at Hooday underscore UK and uh, on Twitter and Bengals UK on Facebook. Um, and I put it out there, you know, what did you guys think of the schedule? Any 
big games that you're looking forward to, any sort of season predictions, any record predictions, anything else that you want to get off your chest. So we've had some correspondences. Um, Greg Luther at Gregor09, you could argue every pick in the draft was a major steal, but if you had to pick one player the Bengals drafted, who would it be? I guess he means as an absolute steal. Um, yeah. I don't know. I like uh, an absolute steal. I, do you know what? I'm going to go with our old chum, Marcus Bailey. Only because by round seven, you're seriously rolling the dice on someone. And if if he can remain healthy and injury-free, he was great as like a third-round talent. So... If he comes good and with his level of intelligence, as we saw firsthand a couple of weeks ago, uh, in fact, last week, I think it was, wasn't it? It was last week, yeah. Because um, obviously he was a guest on this podcast. Um, I think Marcus Bailey could be the steal for us. I think the most obvious one for me was T Higgins. I think most people thought he probably would go in the first round. Um, but also, you know, second to that, I think the Bengals fully thought not only T Higgins would go in round one, but there's no way Logan Wilson would be available in round three. And I think if you read some of their accounts from the draft, um, they very much say they were sweating throughout the whole of the second round thinking that he'd be gone. Um, so for that, the Bengals, I think, might even say Logan Wilson. But for me, both, you know, good value for where we got them. Yes, good stuff. Uh, Ross, uh, at Burrow to AJ, um, anything more than six wins is a bonus in response to the, you know, asking him what he thought our record was going to be. And we've given him seven, so it is Brucey bonus all the way for Ross there. Yeah, I, think I agree with him. I think anything more than six is a good result next year. I agree. Uh, Ol, at Armaduke Panache. <laughs> Solid handle. Um, Oz changed his uh, his Twitter handle, and uh, I think he was uh, quite severe hook at one point. But uh, now he's Armaduke Panache. That's absolutely a solid handle, that is. I'm, I'm very impressed with that. Oz could be king of the handles, I think. Um, <laughs> what do the fellas think on William Jackson the third getting back to being a lockdown cornerback again? As for record, if we got anywhere near Andy and AJ's nine and seven from 2011, that would be amazing. Looking for a couple of statement wins against you-know-who would satisfy me. Uh, I agree absolutely with the latter part of his question-stroke statement. What about William Jackson? Nathan, he's, 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 you know, he's in contract year pretty much. Um, he didn't. He looked quite fallible last year. He's got a couple of new uh, chums back in the secondary for this year. Um, what do you think? I think he'll play really well this season. It's his, like you said, contract year, new guys in the locker room. Um, hopefully he's fully healthy. I, I mean, when he, when he I mean, obviously missed his first season, but the next couple of seasons after that, I mean, people were talking about him as being one of the league's best corners. I mean, coming into that season, people were really, I mean, I remember saying to a few of my friends, I was like, you've got to watch out for William Jackson. Like, he's going to be a real you know, really emerges like a top five corner this year. And he just never lived up to it, did he? He just never made that jump. And I think mm-hmm. last year he was, you know, disappointing at times. But, you know, if, if he could play up to his talent and have a good year, and like, like I said a few times on this podcast, players do tend to have good years in their contract years, it'd be really, really valuable for us, especially obviously with the addition of Waynes and Alexander. So, 
yeah, fingers crossed there because it'd be a huge like you know the team the t- our team being good next year relies on people like him stepping up and taking that step forward like John Ross and these guys that are sort of on the perimeter whether you're not sure if they're elite talents or good talents or just very average to below average talents so. You know, fingers crossed he can take that step because it make a hell of a difference. Yeah, I agree. And what might help from this year is that the Bengals have signed players that can actually seal the edges. Uh, he was seriously exposed when it came to tackling last year because there were no players setting the edges. They were just striding through untouched. And you'd hope that uh, the, the run defence would be a hell of a lot better this year and Jackson will just be able to concentrate on locking down uh, a cornerback because that's what he's good at and he showed in coverage that he was still pretty good last year certainly like the rest of the team uh, at the bottom you know at the end of the schedule so now he's not going to be as exposed in the run game I would hope that um, you know he'll stick to what he's good at yeah absolutely Duncan Donuts at Dastardly Duncan solid handle my instinct is seven a nine or thereabouts. Schedule looks slightly in our favour, so a winning record isn't beyond the realms. Question. Was the nobody wants to play their line taken in the press a false narrative, a truthful statement, or somewhere in between? And have you seen the general and press corps opinion of the Bengals improved after free agency and the draft? Well, if you tune into Colin Cowherd... Oh, Colin Cowturd, as I like to call him. <laughs> um, um, no, but um, I guess having the number one pick brings you more exposure on a national and global level, and uh, you are going to, uh, you know, get people having a go at you. Um, How's it changed? I think the narrative has been put to bed, and they saw how the Bengals drafted pretty well i think most people gave them an a or a b or somewhere in between um i think it's always going to hang around there until they win something unfortunately and um hopefully with burrow i mean who was it pete prisco came out and said that a few weeks ago that he expects the Bengals to win a super bowl within the decade you know so um let's hope he's so very, he's very pro Bengals, pete prisco isn't he he's always we should been get him on actually yeah he's been he's been He's been very pro Bengals during his time. Um, yeah, yeah, no, good old Pete. I, I think you make a really, really good point there that sometimes goes overlooked by Bengals fans, and that's you got to win something. And I think that you know you can draft well and you can get some good, exciting players in, and you know you got to remember having this number one overall pick is no sort of badge of honor. It's there's a reason that you're picking number first. Uh, number first, that there's a reason that you're picking <laughs> first, um, and you got to win something. You've got to turn those if buts and maybes and that's exactly what Carson Palmer said when we had him on the other week you know there's so many if buts and maybe you've got to turn them into wins and I think if the Bengals with Joe Burrow can go to a, you know an a, win an AFC title go to the Super Bowl you know really make some inroads they'll get respect in the national media but when you haven't won a playoff game since 1990 you know and we're in the year 2020 there is going to be some negatives um, for a small market team. And that's unfortunately, we, we've got to kind of ride with that and accept that. So mm. um, I don't think it's changed with Joe Burrow. I think that the media was outlandish to suggest that, you know, he wouldn't, he would just outright refuse to play for the Bengals. And I think it, you know, created a story in a quiet period for the NFL. Um, 
you know, the Bengals signing free agents helps them. You know, that gives, you know, them some slightly positive narrative in the press for this offseason. But you said it best, son. It, it's You've got to win some games. Yeah, and we have been successful, which is one of the annoying things. We did... One of the things was that we're we're a poor team, poor organisation, blah blah blah, uh, and yet we we had a team twice in the two thousands. You know, um, sorry, two thousand five. That was Super Bowl. That had Super Bowl potential. I would say the twenty fifteen team had Super Bowl potential, and you know you count all those playoff um, appearances. We had relatively, we had relative success in those years and, and, and kind of had some fantastic players on our teams. So, and, you know, that's half the battle with fans. But, you know, unfortunately, those two Super Bowl losses and that last playoff game sort of 30 years ago, um, that's the stick that's always going to come out to beat us, really. So, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Dave Cass at Come On Didier. I have an amazing trip in mind, but the chances of it coming off seem slim. Week one at home to the Chargers with some Reds games on the Monday or Tuesday. Off to Cleveland for the Thursday night game against the Browns. Back to Cincy for the Bearcats game on the Friday evening. The liver gives up on Saturday, so fly back at home on the Sunday. And of course, Dave is some serious Cincinnati wanderlust there. And I guess coming out and seeing the schedule, it makes you kind of us British fans think... Which games would we like to go and see? If any of those games, which which of those games would you? like to see the most on that schedule Nathan quite well, a good question I mean Dave's itinerary there he's planned that out with some precision I, I like to hear that um I I do think to be honest the Chargers at Bengals game the opening day of the season the weather in Cincinnati in September yeah. fabulous I sh- I'm, I'm sure and Pack Stadium with Burrow's Pac- debut exactly Burrow's debut and then obviously you know that four o'clock kickoff you can sort of get you know get on the beers about 11 you know have a nice <laughs> sort of you know four or five hour tailgate with uh, Jeremy and Bengals gym and then you'd be, like you said, well-oiled, see the Bengals turn over Herbert and the Chargers, and you'd be absolutely buzzing off your nut, wouldn't you? Oh, goodness um, me. Yeah, you, you've made it. I would like to... No, I'm going with that, actually. Just uh, Burroughs' debut at PBS. Beautiful weather in Cincinnati. Hanging out with Jess and Jeremy. Um, going to going to get my uh, breakfast at uh, Tucker's in... Uh, Cincinnati, just in over the Rhine there. That's I do that early doors. Get down to the stadium. Might even take my top off for a while. <laughs> Start drinking Bengals bombs at God knows I'm where, and I'll be absolutely slaughtered in the gutter by about eleven o'clock in the morning. If if your shirt's coming off, son, I might pick the Miami game down in December. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Just kind of wading into the Ohio River when we win that game. <laughs> Just like flinging all my clothes off. Come on. Break, breaking into the Cincinnati Zoo. Just, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Waking up next morning without uh, naked in the Cincinnati Zoo next to a massive. Next I don't to know. Dave Lapham. Next to me and Dave Lapham naked next to a massive sloth or capybara in yeah. the Cincinnati Zoo. I thought that could have been one of my dreams that I mentioned earlier, actually. But anyway, we, we won't. Not sure, not, not sure which one, though. Exactly. Uh, Stuart Buick at Stuart underscore Buick. Schedule, I think, is pretty good and could have been a lot worse. Plenty winnable games in it. Minus the Ravens, the division isn't up to much. I think we go 9-7 purely down to divisional games. This season will depend on the O-line. 
Speaking, yeah, well said. Speaking of O-line, Jamie at Trequart Beaster, my instinct is seven and nine, but with cautious optimism built in that we might shock the world. We don't play a lot of good teams. Not much in not much in the way of Bengals matters. But do you think Larry Warford is a possibility? And of course, Larry Warford was released by the Saints, the Pro Bowl guard. And as ever, when someone of that quality comes on the open market, and even when someone of that, well, someone who isn't that quality comes on the open market, Bengals fans go nuts. We've got to sign this guy. Let's let's go out and sign him. Joe, what do you think? Should we go out and sign him? Because you know, poor old Joe used to Joe Goodbury used to get asked all the time about that. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think he would be an upgrade. It's just I don't know. I think they're kind of done splashing the cash uh, at the moment, especially with like you know AJ to sort out and Mixon to sort out, and the fact that they've made it pretty clear that they're happy with what they got on the offensive line. Yeah, I think a few people um, were saying. I think Cat um, Cat works for the Saints now, didn't she? Is that yeah, she's right down. In, she's down back home down in New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah, because Cat Terrell was, I believe, I read a piece by her about Saints fans were actually that surprised he got cut. Apparently his plays slightly dropped off last year and I think, I'm not sure his contract was necessarily, you know, up to what they wanted. So, you know, it, I think he would definitely be an upgrade on um, Michael Jordan. I think, you know, Jordan still, he played quite well down the stretch, but he's obviously, you know, came in as a late round pick, struggled mightily at the start of the season. I think bringing in a veteran there to shore up the, um, you know, get a bit of experience on that line and add some leadership would be strong. It's a money thing, but I think if you could get him for like four or five million a year or something like that, I think it would represent great value and just give us more than anything some depth. That's the thing that I've talked about in the past. It's like you've got Jordan starting. It's like, great, okay, let's see what he's got there. It's already a risk. If he gets hurt, you know, then that's when you start having to bring in guys off the street that haven't played and Andre Smith's name gets thrown around again and John Jerry's of the world start cropping up. And I just, you can get like an experienced pro bowler there, you know, and your backup's Michael Jordan. It's like, okay, cool. Um, but I, I'd love to see it. I think all fans would love to see it when, the, you know, money's not an issue and they don't know the sort of chemistry that someone like Zach Taylor's trying to instill. But I think on paper, it seems like a logical signing, but we'll have to wait and see. And of course, plenty of people clamouring for a new backup quarterback as well. But Zach came out. Uh, we sort of spoke about the quarterback position last week, but Zach came out and kind of said, "No, we're set. We're good with what we've got at quarterback." And even though Cam Newton's still out there, and said that he'd be he'd be happy with a backup role, which is something I never thought Cam Newton would ever say with the size of his ego. Um, but uh, nope, they seem set there. So. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, there's a lot. I think there's a lot of. There might be a few kind of roster cuts and chopping and changing before the start of season, before training camp. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Duncan Newton at Slam Dunk the Funk. Solid handle. Let's have some optimism, please. Ten and six, playoff bound. Hashtag, you heard it here first. P.S. Looking forward to episodes 85, 96, and 97. Can't think of what he means, but yes. It's a good way to finish, Duncan, I think. That's our final... Duncan's been slamming slamming the whiskeys down, I think, with that tweet. Ten and six. I know, absolutely, yeah. Um, but good on him. I think there's been a lot of day drinking during this lockdown, so whatever <laughs> whatever it takes to get you through the days, uh, as long as you drink responsibly, obviously, 
sports fans, uh, is fine with us. Um, that's about it. Uh, for You're talking about drinking responsibly, son. You're about yeah. 10 minutes ago, you were, you were naked in the Cincinnati Zoo. <laughs> I know. Well, I had a good reason to be. <laughs> We'd just beaten the charges. It was a balmy day in yeah. Cincinnati. And, the coronavirus uh, had just disappeared magically. Exactly. Into... Someone clicked their fingers and it all went away. And suddenly we were just <laughs> hugging everyone and drinking merrily and stripping off and jumping into the river and frolicking. And then obviously getting arrested. So um, anyway, that's... Uh, I don't know where that's I'm going with that. the end to this podcast. Exactly. But a uh, big thanks to John Thornton again. hope you enjoyed that. We'll be back next week with more nonsense uh, and uh, more stuff there'll be another watch party this weekend so look out for news on that uh, i think we've decided that we're going to carry on for another at least another month see how it goes um but we're currently eight and oh in that watch party season which is miraculous really when you think about it but yes thanks to john thornton fantastic special guest and uh, until next week it's a who day from me and who day from me cheers guys And it should also be noted that the views and opinions expressed within this podcast do not reflect those of the Cincinnati Bengals organisation.